Open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 6 through 10. Mm. Hallelujah. We serve an awesome God, amen? Amen. 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 The book of Galatians, chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 6 through 10. When you got it, say so. The word of the Lord says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed." As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Jesus, we just thank you so much for the work that you did on the cross for us. We are grateful today, God, because we, in this place, those of us who know you, God, are a product of that work on the cross. God, we thank you so much because there is one true gospel. There is one true gospel, Lord God. And that is where we put our hope and we put our trust in that gospel, Lord God. And so today, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts that you would remind us of things that we may have forgotten, my God, that you would reveal to us things that we may have not known and that you would challenge us above all things to live lives that reflect transformation by the gospel. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church, my God. I pray that you be glorified in us and that you would use me to convey your truth. In Jesus' holy name, someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So first of all, um, if you do not have an outline, you should have an outline with you. If you do not have one, raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. Um, We have a few hands up, so do we have outlines for them? Hallelujah. Amen. I think we have a few. And so we want to make sure that you get those outlines. The outlines are going to be very helpful for you to take some notes, to write some things down, um, and to be able to follow along in, in the sermon. You'll be able to Um, For those of you that are going to connect, you'll be able to have the questions that are going to be discussed in our connect groups. And again, as always, I want to remind you that if you are not part of a connect group, we encourage you to get connected. We encourage you to um, get get together with brothers and sisters in Christ outside of Sunday services to be able to sharpen one another, to be able to pray with one another. The Bible teaches us clearly that that is the way that the first church did it, and so we should follow suit. Amen? Amen? We want to see the same fruit. We want to see the same glory. We want to see the same power. Well, we got to do some things kind of the same way that they did it. And so the Bible says that they got together in the bigger, larger congregational setting, and they met together in the temple. And then the Bible says that they went from there, and they broke bread from house to house, and they were sharing with each other. So they broke bread together, and they talked about the Word of God. And so what happens in our connect groups at this point is we discuss the scriptures that are being preached on Sundays, and that way you can go ahead and dig a little bit deeper during that time 
time and you can be challenged and you can hold one another accountable. And so you'll notice some things in this particular outline that you have on the inside is not the same um, setup. Usually I give you my few introduction points. On this particular one, I won't, and it's because we have something on the right side. I don't want you to pay attention to that, though. The reason why I'm bringing this to your attention is because I don't want you to start reading that while I'm talking. Amen? Amen. I want you to stay with me. We're going to read that together, and we're going to go over it together because I really want you to be challenged, but I don't want you to miss because there's a lot of good stuff on the right side of that thing that um, you'll get caught up in, and you'll start reading that, and then you're not going to hear what's being communicated. You're not going to be able to take notes that are going to bring edification to your life. Amen? And so it's really important, but on the left side is where I have the questions that we'll be going over. And so just to kind of reiterate, um, last week when we started this message series, this message series is entitled Liberated for Life. And this morning we're going to talk about a, uh, the theme of this message today is one true gospel. And so in the last message we came, or hopefully we came to the understanding that the message in the book of Galatians is a huge reminder of the liberty that we have in Jesus' finished work on the cross. When we look at the book of Galatians, we talk, I talked about Martin Luther who was the great reformer and he used to call this book by his wife's name because he said that he was wedded to it. And this book is one of the great books. It's one of the great books that reveals to us and reminds us of the liberty that we have in Jesus. Now, every week we're going to say our memory verse together, and hopefully by the end of this you will have memorized it. Amen? And so our memory verse is this. You repeat after me. I'll say the first part, then you repeat, okay? Say, free for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So for freedom, there you go, say it again, for freedom. That's how you memorize stuff. You got to say it a few times, amen? So I'm going to help you out because I know some of y'all wasn't saying it throughout the week, so we're going to say it three times together, amen? So we'll come together, we'll say it a few times, and hopefully we'll get this thing down. So say, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Last time, for freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The reason why that's our memory verse is because the book of Galatians is summed up in that verse. That is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. And if you looked at that, and this is the, um, the English Standard Version, I believe, is the, is, is the translation that we're using here. But when you look at this particular scripture, this sums up what Paul is talking about. But I didn't want to just come and say, hey, this is what the book is about. Let's move on. But I want us to walk through this book together. One of the first things that you will notice when you read the book of Galatians, when you're looking at the introduction, it's a little bit different than the other book. Remember the Apostle Paul, he wrote like 13 books in the New Testament. And so he wrote, you know, um, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He wrote Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Galatians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So he writes all of these books. He writes Philemon. And what you'll notice is in those introductions, those introductions are a little bit longer than what you see in the book of Galatians. And the reason for this is because of the abruptness that we see occur. One thing that Paul does not do is he 
he gives them no commendation. He doesn't encourage them about anything, how good they're doing or anything like that. He simply presents to them. Immediately he goes into, I pray for the peace of God to be upon you. And then he goes on with his rebuke. And the reason for this is because of the urgency of the matter with which he is dealing. And so when we look at the text, it's important for us that when we read our Bibles that we don't just read casually, but that we ask questions and we say, why is this a little bit different than the other ways that Paul would communicate? And the reason is because he wants us to understand that there's an urgency to the truth that he's proclaiming here. And I want to say this because it should be understood, but to clarify, the freedom Paul is reminding the Galatians of is a freedom from sin, not a freedom to sin. He is, he is reminding them of a freedom from the law for salvation, not a freedom to live lawlessly. Are you hearing me? You see, what, what he's reminding them of is that you do not earn salvation. That's what he's reminding them. He's reminding them that under the old covenant, you had to try to be perfect in order to be accepted by God. And because you would never be perfect, you would always have to bring sacrifices, whether it was a sin offering or a trespass offering or a peace offering or a free will offering. If you go to the book of Leviticus, like the first eight chapters, deal with all of these different offerings that were to be brought because of people's sins. And so what happened is under the old covenant before Jesus comes, we have this message that is being proclaimed. You have to live perfectly to be accepted by God. And the reason why he says that and, and the reason why God proclaims that is because he is setting forth this picture of the need for a sacrifice that is going to really absolve us of all our sins. And what he does is every year they have this day of atonement. And in that day of atonement, they are reminded of their sin. They are reminded of their unrighteousness before God. Because Jesus, who is going to come later on, is going to be what? The sacrificial lamb that is slain in our place. He is our one-time atonement. We don't have to continue to sacrifice animals or try to live perfectly. And what is occurring here is that these people who are coming in, these Judaizers, as they're coming in to communicate with the church, they are trying to bring them back under the yoke of that law. You notice when Jesus communicates, he says, all you who are weary, right, and heavy laden or heavy burdened, depending on the translation, he says, come unto me, take up my yoke for it is light, find rest. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about this right here. That's what he's communicating. He's saying, listen, you have been under this yoke of the law trying to live righteously, but I have come to liberate you from that yoke of the law. I have come to liberate you from the inability that you have to please God and to give you the way to do it. And how do you do it? Follow me. How do you do it? Put your trust and your hope in me. And so this is what he's communicating, and I just want to make it clear, because some people will take the book of Galatians to mean that you can live foul, you can live however you want to live, and you're still okay with Jesus. This is not true. This is not true. Just because I am not earning my salvation. I forget who I was talking to. I was, ta I was talking to Brother Jose. We were having a conversation. And, 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 and I was, uh, we were talking about what happens to Christians. You know, we were talking about the great debate. Can a person lose their salvation? We'll talk about that another day. But here's what him and I communicated. I said this. I said, when we come to Jesus and we put our faith in him, we are saved at that moment. And we are no longer living trying to earn salvation. But we are living to become more like Jesus. 
That is what the Christian's objective is, is to become more like Jesus. It's not that I'm trying to earn my way into heaven. I can't earn my way into heaven. He had to earn my way into heaven. But what I do every day of my life and what you should be doing every day of your life is trying to become more like Christ. And it's not by might nor by power, but it is by his spirit. Nonetheless, you need to be present in a place for him to fill you with his spirit. You need to be in his word. In other words, he's not going to open the Bible for you. In other words, he's not going to pray for you. In other words, he's not going to say no to sin for you. He did all of those things, and now it is our job to walk in sanctification. Nonetheless, I do not boast in my prayer time or my word time or my saying no to sin. I boast in the work of the cross because that is where my salvation is found. And so Galatians communicates to us that you are no longer trying to earn salvation. Salvation has been earned to you. Now you live your life for the glory and for the honor of Jesus, allowing him to make you more like him. The one true gospel truly and fully sets us free to live out of the grace of God. Let me say that again. The one true gospel, there is one true gospel, and I will repeat that throughout this message. But the one true gospel truly and fully sets us free to live out of the grace of God. The first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must guard against turning away from the one true gospel. Now, it's beautiful for us to realize that Paul, he is not writing to unsaved people. He is writing to a church. And look what he says in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So the first thing he comes out and he says, he says, I'm amazed. I am overwhelmed with shock. That's what he's saying here when he's saying that I marvel. He's saying, I am amazed at the fact that you are turning away from him who called you to the gospel of Christ. And so the first thing he's saying, he's saying, I preach this message of truth to you. You were called into a relationship with Jesus. You were called into a freedom that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. You were called into that liberty. And I'm amazed that you would turn away so soon from that freedom. I'm amazed that you would so soon give in to whatever these people are communicating. So I need to correct something that I said last week. Galatians was not written in 49 B.C., amen? That would make no sense, and I don't even know. I'm like, I, I embolden it, everything. But it was, it was written around 49 A.D., amen? So Brother Lewis brought me a paper, and I didn't correct because Pastor Aldo was so inspired during his announcements. I didn't even want to cut that off, glory to God. And so ultimately, no, it's all right, bro, get inspired, bro. Just be inspired, inspire us to just listen to your announcements, amen? But the book of Galatians was written in about 49 AD. Now, this is important for us. This is almost 20 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, right? Because when we look at this, if Jesus was born around, you know, if he was born around 4 AD, um, you know, what happens is, you know, he dies when he's 33, right? And so when you look at the 49, you know, depending on when you, you know, put Jesus' birth, and listen, there is no perfect or exact date of year when Jesus was born. It's only speculative. Like I've told you before, there was no, um, there were no birth certificates that you could go back and check the records. And so they do this based on 
on like who was king at that time and that, and that type of stuff. And so nonetheless, this is about 15 to 20 years after Jesus dies and ascends into heaven. So that's not a very long time for these people. But let me tell you what makes this even more intense is that they didn't hear the gospel 15 or 20 years prior. When you look at this in its context and you look at the timing that it was written, the book of Acts chapter 15 records this conversation that occurred between Paul and Barnabas and, you know, all of the, um, the Judaizers and, you know, them trying to communicate that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so they marked that around that 49 BC, you know, around that time. And so what happens is it was right before then that Paul preached to the churches in Galatia. It was before then that he went there on his first missionary trip and established these churches. So listen to this. It wasn't like it was, you know, 5, 10, 15 years later. It was somewhere between one and three years after they had been founded that these people were turning away from Jesus. It wasn't a long period of time. Why is that important for us? Because sometimes we just, you know, it, it, it takes small periods of time for us to forget about what Jesus did for us. Hello? We, 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 we get touched by the Spirit of God. God does something great in our hearts, and then we, you know, we walk away, and everything is good, and we're serving him strong. But then all of a sudden, other things creep into our lives, and shortly after, we start turning away. We start forgetting about how we should be devoted. We start forgetting about how we should be seeking him. The same thing was happening with the church of Galatia. And so Paul is amazed at them. He's amazed that they were turning away. And so Paul uses two different words here, and this is important for us to look at. He says here, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you and the grace of Christ to a different. And so the word different there is the word heteros in the Greek or heteros in the Greek. And it is another or a different kind. And he says that you are turning to a different gospel. But then he goes on and he says, which is not another. That word is the word alos in the Greek. And it means is, is another of the same kind. And so what Paul is trying to communicate to them, it's almost like an oxymoron of what he communicates. Because he says, you're turning to a different gospel, but there's no different gospel. Saying you're, you're, you're turning away to a different gospel, something that had, that, that's a different kind. It's some kind of message that is being communicated. But he says to them, he says, which is not another gospel, but they are, there are some who would trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so the Judaizers wanted to trouble. That's what he says here. He says they wanted to trouble them. And what does that word trouble mean? That word trouble means it means to disturb mentally with excitement, perplexity, and fear. And so when they came in there, they wanted to create this, this atmosphere of confusion to where these guys' minds, these people's minds and hearts were confused. Like, did we really believe the true gospel? I'll tell you a story. One time I was at my house, and, and when I first became a Christian, I, share, I think I've shared this with you before, but for the sake of, uh, of the context, it works here. But what happened was I was sitting in my house, and, the, and, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, they came to my door. And so when they came to my door, and they knocked on the door, you know, I opened the door, and, you know, I knew a little bit of Bible, so I was like, oh, we're going to have a conversation. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we started having this conversation. By the end of the conversation, I walked away, and I was confused, and I didn't know if I believed the right thing. I walked away and I was like, man, do I believe in the right Jesus? Do I believe the truth the way that it's supposed to be? And mind you, this was a time in my life when I was on fire for God. I was in my, on my face in the word of God. I mean, I was seeking Jesus. There was no question if I encountered God. There was no question if I had experienced it. it was, I wasn't questioning any of that. I was questioning the words that I believed. 
I was questioning the word of God. And I thank God because my dad called right at that moment. And when I got on the phone with him, he's like, hey, man, what's up? And I said, nothing. I said, man, he's like, what's going on? I said, man, I just had this conversation with these Jehovah's Witnesses, man. And he's like, yeah. And I said, bro, I'm confused. And he was like, Jason. He said, you know, your, your grand- I, I hadn't met my grandfather, his dad, until, you know, at that point. He's like, your grandfather is like a superintendent for the Jehovah's Witnesses in Puerto Rico. He said, they're deceived. That's what he told me. He said, they're deceived. He said, they don't have the truth. And he began to break this thing down for me and thank God for someone to come at that moment. Because if someone wouldn't have came to me and spoken to my life at that moment, who knows what would have happened? Because I didn't know where to go because I was looking at my Bible, at the scriptures they were showing me. And it was like, man, what they're saying seems right. What they're saying seems true. And then, you know, praise God, because of that, that motivation was like the, you know, the wind that blew back into my sails. And then I started to get into the book of Philippians chapter 2, and I was like, oh, I got some scripture. And when they came back the next week, I was like, because I was ready, glory to God. There was no wavering now, you know what I'm saying? I knew who Jesus was, on, and not just from an emotional place, but I knew him in the scriptures. And that is what was happening here to these Judaizers, to, to these people, from these Judaizers. These people came in, and remember, these people did not have a Bible like we have. They had the Old Testament law. That was it. And so a person, and I think it's in 1st or 2nd Timothy, um, Paul says that the law is good for those who know how to use it. Are you hearing me? The law is good for those who know how to use it, but there are people that do not know how to use the law of God. They use it for the wrong purpose. In the New Testament, the law is supposed to be a tutor, which we'll see later on in Galatians. It is supposed to be a teacher. It is supposed to be something that brings us to Jesus, not causes us to turn from Jesus. And so what was happening here is that these people were causing them, because of their incorrect or erroneous use of the law, they were causing them to turn away from Christ instead of turning to Jesus. They were perplexing their mind. He says that somebody, that, that, that what they want to do is that they want to have you to be troubled in your mind, he said, or pervert. Say pervert. When you look at this word pervert, the word pervert there, it literally means to reverse. What does reverse mean? It means to turn around. It means to change to the opposite. It means to turn about. And so what they wanted to do was they wanted to turn the gospel around. They wanted to make them think, no, man, you guys need to believe right. You guys need to turn the other way. Hold on a second. They already turned to Jesus. Hello? They already turned and put faith in Christ. And so now they were turning, they, they were causing them to turn away. And so this is what they wanted. They wanted to perplex or get their minds overwhelmed with the false, uh, with the false gospel. And this is the difference. They wanted to get them, they wanted to pervert the, the gospel message of salvation by grace with a message of salvation by works. They wanted to get them to believe, oh, you still got to earn some stuff. You got to be circumcised. You have to keep the feast. You have to do all of these different things in order for you to really be saved. And see, here's the thing that we got to get, church, is that since the Garden of Eden, Satan has always called God into question. And the way that he does this is by tempting man to question God's word. When you look in the Garden of Eden, you see that Eve is by the tree. And what does he say? He's like, did God really say? That's the question. That's the question that will be asked throughout all of history. Did God really say there's only one way? Did he really say that? Or did he say like some famous preacher said like this? They asked him the question. They said, so do you believe that Christianity is the only way? And the preacher responded like this. He said, well, you know, I believe that, you know, Jesus is the only way. But look how, look how he twisted this up. He says, but there's many ways to Jesus. 
Now, see, it's one thing for you to say there's many ways to Jesus, meaning I may come through drug addiction. Hello? I may come through abuse. I may come through divorce. I may come through a lot of things. That may bring me to Jesus. That's not what the preacher was saying. They were trying to sound cute and be politically correct because it is politically incorrect to say Jesus is the only way. As a matter of fact, it's even more politically incorrect to say that there is a narrow path, there is a narrow gate. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of ways to Jesus. Hello? There is one way to Jesus. That's it. And so what happens is these guys were trying to get them to think differently. Well, did God really say that? Did God really say? Is that what, you know, Paul really doesn't know what he's talking about. But here's what we have to understand. The salvation by works message calls into question not only God and his word, but it calls into question God's work. Did you hear me? When we question the message of salvation by grace alone, when we allow ourselves to question that, like is there something I can add to the work of the cross, then what we are doing is we are calling into question what Jesus said when he was on the cross, to Tetelestai, it is finished. Meaning it was done. And so that's what the enemy wants us to do. And so the second thing is here, please say this with me, say we must reject, we must reject. any message Amen. that adds or takes away from the one true gospel. Look at these verses, verses 8 and 9. He says, But if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. In some of your translation, it will say anathema. Let him be accursed. And verse 9 says, And we, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now I want you to notice something really quickly here. The first thing that Paul does is he makes a big emphasis on the importance of believing one true gospel. Are you hearing me? He makes, he makes such a big emphasis that he puts himself in a category and he says, even if I come to you, in other words, if I get some grand revelation later on and I come to you and I tell you, well, you know, I've been praying and I've been seeking God and, you know, this is really what this gospel is about. If he says, if I do that, he said, let me be accursed. And then when he goes on and he says this here in verse 9, he says, as we have said before, he's not talking about what I said two seconds ago. That's not what he's saying. When he first went to them, when he first preached the gospel to them, he must have communicated to them and let them know if anyone, he's reminding them, I told you about this. I let you know that people are going to try to distort this message. So if anyone tries to communicate this gospel to you in a different way, let him be accursed. So Paul makes this great emphasis on the importance of accepting the one true gospel to make it clear that there is a huge, say huge, difference between the gospel of grace and every other similar message see in our day we have similar sounding messages we have messages that sound the same you have people talk to you about religion and like well religion is basically saying the same thing yeah many times it is saying the same thing when it comes to the place of morality hello why is that? Because God wrote those moral codes on our heart. That's the reason why all religions sound the same when it comes to morality. But what separates Christianity from all other religions is the Savior who died and rose and calls us to repentance and gives us an opportunity to really have salvation. There is a difference. There is a distinction. And so there's no other religion that should be compared to the religion of true Christianity. 
There is a difference. And Paul says it is such a difference that anyone who preaches a different gospel should be accursed. See, the enemy wants us or wants to make us believe that similar sounding messages are the same. Church, they are not. And we must boldly confront those who portray themselves as sharers of an equal good news to the gospel. Boldly communicating that you do not have the same gospel as we have. You do not have the same religion we have. You do not have the same opportunity for relationship inside of your religion. And listen, it is not about religion, but here is the bottom line. The bottom line is that the word of God calls us into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And somebody down in history decided to call us Christians. Hello. It wasn't like an exciting word like, hey, you guys are Christians. It wasn't like that. It was like a stamp of disapproval. It was a stamp to let you know, you know, you're, you're, you're someone who is against all the other things that people are believing. And so what we have to realize is that in our day, these messages that we hear communicated, we're supposed to be the lighthouses. Hello? We're supposed to be the ambassadors. We're supposed to be the, bo- the voices that are out there. And here's what I want you to get, is that we must never lose sight of the fact that our battle for truth, listen to this, is not primarily against anyone or any group or any religion, but it is against the error that is leading people further astray from the one true gospel and the one true God that can set them free. And as they go further and further astray from the truth and further and further astray from the gospel they are getting closer and closer to an eternity in hell that is why we should be passionate about this gospel that is why we should be compelled and we should be moved to share the truth at all times why because the more that people are deceived by the message that is being proclaimed throughout our days the closer they get to being separated from God for all of eternity and we are the ones, church, that are supposed to be that light. To call someone a curse, when Paul said that, just to make it clear, what, he, what it meant was it meant a person or a thing that was set apart and devoted to destruction because of being hateful to God. Hence, in a spiritual sense, it denotes one who is alienated from God by sin. I'll say it this way. To call someone a curse was saying that they were under the condemnation of eternal judgment. They were not just misinformed. They were not just needing church discipline, but they were deceived and they were in bondage to their sin. This is what he's communicating. He's being really serious. He is being really weighty with his words. He is communicating with all of his heart and letting these people know if anyone proclaims this gospel to you that is fictitious, that is false, you need to make sure you understand they are accursed. They are separated from the life of God. Now listen, that should scare us, but here's what should happen. It should break our hearts to see anyone in this condition. It should break our hearts to see anyone under this condemnation. But what should happen is that that brokenness should drive us into deep mourning and prayer and crying out over their souls and then a bold, loving communication of the truth, not a compromise of the truth. See, because what will happen is we will see people that are bound and see people that are deceived and see people that are comfortable in their separation from God and their sinful living. We see them like that and they're convinced and then we begin to compromise the message of truth because it may be too offensive and it may not turn them or or, or it may turn them or push them away. But listen, it is important for us that we share faithfully this gospel that has been entrusted to us. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must must ensure ensure 
that we are living for the pleasure of God first and foremost. We must ensure that we are living to the pleasure of God first and foremost. The last verse here is verse 10. Look at what it says. He says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. What the Apostle Paul does here is what, he, what, what, he's, what he's communicating is he's saying, you know what, man? That's going to sound really harsh to the people that are hearing. They're going to think, man, that, that's some really harsh stuff because what he's saying is he's saying that anybody doesn't. But li, li, listen to what Paul is saying. I, I don't know if you heard this in the last you know, three or four minutes while I went over this. But what Paul was saying is if you don't believe like him, you're accursed. Let that sink in for a moment because that's the message you and I have been entrusted with in our days. Now let's just be real for a moment. How many of you would be that bold in the middle of your workplace, in the middle of a bunch of unsaved people that are talking about, you know, places where, you know, or, or things that they believe? How bold would you be to say, if you don't believe like me, you're accursed? Let's bring it into context now. That'd be pretty tough, right? be pretty hard to say that. Be like, you, you're trying to figure out a way to say it. Like, I don't, maybe I shouldn't use the word curse. No, that's what Paul said. But Bishop, that's not good evangelism. I'm not, I'm, I'm, that's what Paul said. Don't argue with me. Argue with Paul. This is what Paul was communicating. And so that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Well, that's the way it came across to them. And so that's the reason why he said, am I trying to persuade man or God? In other words, when he's saying persuade, he's not talking about like trying to convince God or convince men necessarily. What he's trying to say, am I trying to earn the favor of man or the favor of God? Am I trying to live a life that is in the favor of God or in the favor of man? Which one am I trying to do? He's like, listen, I am not trying to live a life that is favorable to all men. I'm trying to live a life that is favorable to God. And I'll become all things to all men to win them. But I'm not going to compromise the truth of the gospel because that will not win them. That will further deceive them. So what Paul communicates is he's saying, am I trying to persuade man or am I trying to persuade God? He said, or do I seek to please men? Am I trying to please them? Am I trying to make them happy? Or am I trying to bring them into a relationship with God that will deliver them? He says, for if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus. And so listen to what he's saying. This should challenge our hearts because you cannot live to please men and be a bondservant of Jesus. It's either or. Did you hear that? You cannot say, I'm living for Jesus, but I'm more concerned with pleasing men. I'm more concerned with what men think about me. I'm more concerned with their opinion of me. I'm more concerned with winning their favor. You cannot live in both waters. You live one or the other. He says, if I was striving, if I was trying to persuade men, I wouldn't be this bondservant that I am today. I wouldn't be given to this life of the gospel that I'm giving. The Apostle Paul makes a point that should challenge our hearts. The gospel he was preaching was not just a message to him, but it was life or death for his hearers and a direct correlation between him pleasing or displeasing God. Now listen. When I say that, I want you to understand this is the vision of Faith Dumb Fellowship. For those of you that are in our vision carrier class, you learned last week that our vision is to please God. That is our vision. But when I say pleasing him, I don't mean like we please him to get into his favor. I mean that we please him by doing what honors him. 
We please him by doing what glorifies him. We bring joy to his heart when we obey him. It doesn't mean that he loves us more or loves us less when we disobey. What it means is that we are living for his glory and his honor. But notice Paul's heart. His heart is that he would be able to make sure that this church understand or these churches understand. Listen, this is not just some message that's fly by night, but this is life or death to the hearers. I hope you can hear the urgency in his heart. This is life or death. And why is this important to us? Because we need to see it the same way, church. For some reason, we don't see it like that. We don't see our lives as being there to be light and to be salt. And that every person that we come in contact with, we are called to be a voice of truth calling them to the Savior. We don't see that. We think that's someone else's job. That's someone else's responsibility. Listen, if you and I don't do it, who's going to do it? If you and I have been placed in this position, wherever that position is, if we have been placed there, we should see I am here and my life being here is life or death to these people. That's why I said we should become broken in our prayer closets. We should be broken over this because, listen to me, it is not enough to hear a message. It is not enough to respond to an altar call. It is not enough to know the truth. You have got to be transformed by it, burdened by this truth in your heart. And you will never have that happen if you're not living a life where you are in with Jesus, allowing him to really fill your heart with the things that are breaking his. Hello. And our cultural climate, being politically correct, has jeopardized the sting of conviction when the truth of the gospel has been proclaimed, church. You see, when you say stuff that is harsh like this, and please hear me, I'm not saying just, this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying walk into your job tomorrow and say, all of you are accursed. (laughs) Come talk to me if you want Jesus. That is not what I'm saying. That is, that, that is bad evangelism, okay? That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is be a bold witness when the opportunities come. Don't let people that, you know, well, I'm not to judge. Yes, you have to judge. You have. The Bible says that to the spiritual man, he judges all things. Listen, I'm not calling you to be, you know, calling. That is not, I'm not calling you to be, you know, calling everybody out in their sin and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I am saying, church. What I am saying is that in your relationships with people that you know are not living their life for Jesus, that you know are not convicted of of their sin, that you know are not devoted to him, don't play with them. Their life is in the balance. And if you are silent, who's going to preach to them? They need the truth that will set them free. But you know what? We love people and we care about people. And that is supposed to happen. But we should love them enough the same way that we would not allow our child to run outside into into the middle of rush hour traffic because we know that they're going to die. Why would we not look the same way at those people that we know that do not know Jesus? Because if they died, and the Bible says that tomorrow is promised to no man. And if they die, they are running into something greater than traffic. But they are running into an encounter with the almighty and holy God who is going to do what? Inevitably have to judge them for their sin. This is what should burn in our hearts and this is what happens when we are really being transformed and changed by this gospel truth that God is calling us to live out. But in our culture, see, we want to be politically correct and then what happens is, you know, we, we, we do this thing and, you know, I thought about, you know, candy coat, you know, what, what that means. And so, you know, when you candy coat something, you know, you take something that's nasty and you try to mask it with something that's sweet. And listen, you can do that a little bit and be like, you know, hey, I want to love you and that, that's the candy, that's the coat, Amen. 
That's your love towards people. That, let, let's put it like that. That is what makes it palatable when you really love people. When you really care about people. But you do not candy coat the message with pretty words. Are you hearing me? You do not candy coat the message with words that will jeopardize. See, what should happen is, it's, it, it's kind of like, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I know like whenever I get cut, like I, 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 I really hate washing the cut. Why? Because it burns. Right? The other day I got a cut and I was like, I washed it and then I got home and I got to the peroxide and I'm like, oh, it's probably not going to hurt. Yeah, right. I was like, man, this hurts. And so what happens is, is there a way to candy coat peroxide? I doubt it. You just don't wash it. Hello. You just don't use it. It's the same thing with the truth. You can't candy coat the truth when you're confronting sin. You just cannot do that when you're letting people know. And it's not even just about confronting their sin. It's letting people know, man, you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough to do enough good. You can't, you, you, you can't be righteous. It, that, that is tough to do without it stinging them. And what should happen is when we proclaim the truth, there should be a sting that takes place in the hearts of people. And some people are going to reject that sting. Others are going to be like, man, I need to hear more. But here is what has to happen to us. Our hearts have to be broken over their condition. We don't need to be these rude religious people that are just out there proclaiming truth without love. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we proclaim the truth in love. And what is needed in our day is men and women who are broken in their prayer closets over the sin of our nation and the eternal reality of hell for all who do not come to saving faith in Jesus, whose lives will become a a gospel message that is lived out, but it is also clearly, compassionately, and convincingly conveyed by communicating the truth of the gospel. That's what we need. We need people who will go from this place and say, God, I know you're calling me. I know you're calling me to be this light. I know you're calling me to be this person that is a voice, but I can't be a voice without power. I can't be a light without power. Hello? I can't can't do that. And if lives are going to be changed, then it's going to be by the power of your Holy Spirit. John MacArthur, he said this. He said, truth is supposed to divide. Did you hear that? Truth is supposed to divide. See, because what happens is that whenever the truth, the nature of truth, causes people to choose either to accept it or reject it. You're either going to say that's truth or it's not, period. So you know what that's going to do? It's going to cause a divide. When you present an ultimatum, when you present a truth and say this is the way that it's going to be, guess what? People got to make a choice. Is that the way we're going to go or not? That's, that's what happens. That's what happens with the truth of God's word. So what is our job? Our job is to love the truth. Our job is to live the truth. And our job is to share the truth. And God's job is to do the rest. That's what we are supposed to do. And so here's my closing question for you, and we're getting ready to look at this other part of the page over here. But are you committed to being a faithful witness to the one true gospel? Think about that. Are you committed to being a faithful witness to the one true gospel? Are you 100% committed to that? Are you 100% God, I want to be a faithful witness to the gospel? See, because this is what should happen. It should be the cry of our hearts that this gospel would burn in our hearts and consume every area of our lives to the degree that we cannot contain ourselves from, from proclaiming it frequently and faithfully and fearlessly. That's what happens when when I'm a person who is devoted to being this witness of this one true gospel. That is what begins to happen in my heart. This gospel begins to consume my life. See, because here's the thing. You're not going to be out there and be a faithful witness if this gospel is not burning in you. Hello? 
If it is not burning inside of you, I love, I don't know who said this, but I've heard it and I take it because I believe it. He said it like this. He's talking to preachers. He said, if it doesn't burn in you, it's not going to burn in them. If it doesn't burn in you, it's not going to burn in them. If it hasn't consumed your heart, it's not going to consume theirs. If it hasn't convicted your heart, it's not going to convict theirs. And so what does this gospel look like practically? And so this is what we're looking at, the bad news, good news. There's a book that I love. It's called Whatever Happened to the Gospel by David Nicholas. And in this book, he is challenging preachers. He is calling preachers to preach the gospel faithfully. He is calling them that every time that they get up to preach the word of God, that they would be faithful to proclaim the gospel. If you haven't read the book, I encourage you to read the book. He has some amazing testimonies in there, and it's a book that is geared towards preachers, but it can also be something that can be utilized by Christians. And this particular part is the one that is so important, because when you look at the gospel, there is bad news and there is good news. And so here's the bad news, and this is, are you devoted to this? Do you believe this? And that's part of your questioning that you have there in front of you. Like, what part of this do you struggle with? What part of this do you, do, do you have issues believing, if any? Because you may be cool and believe all of it, but will you share this? That's the question. Because it's one thing to believe it, but will you share this? Will you share this with other people and learn what these things say? So the bad news is this. First of all, and this, is, this, this isn't so bad, but it would get bad, but God is holy, Meaning that sin is absent from him. He doesn't, there, there isn't sinfulness in God. God is righteous, he is perfect, and he is just, and he cannot accept me the way that I am. That's the bad news. He is righteous, he is holy, he is just, and he cannot, and, and he cannot accept me the way that I am. This is where the news gets even worse. God has a problem with me. Hold on a second, time out, time out. God has a problem with me? Yes, he has a problem with you. If you, are, if you are living in sin, he has a problem with you. If you are not submitted to him, he has a problem with you. Oh, but that's hateful. That's truthful. Because when you stand before him, listen, he is not the one that is going to be on the judgment seat or, 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 or in the place of judgment. He's the one on the judgment seat. Hello? And so right now, he's giving you opportunity to turn from your sin. That's the reality. He gives you, but he has a problem with me because, why does, why does he have an issue with me? Because I'm ugly, because I'm this, because I'm that? Well, what is his issue with me? He created me, didn't he? Yeah, he did create you. He didn't create you for bad works. He created you for good. But listen, he has a problem with me because I have committed sins or crimes against him by breaking his law in my thoughts, in my words, and in my deeds. Now, here's the thing. Can anybody in this room say, I never sin against God in thought, I never sin against God in word, I never sin against God in deed? If you can say that, then you should be seated on the throne in glory. But every one of us that is in this room should be able to say, man, this is true. I do sin against him. I do break his laws. In other words, those are crimes against God because we're talking about a judicial mindset, a judicial setting, a, a God who is a judge of all the universe. And so we break his laws and God is just. The third thing in the, under the bad news side, God is just and he must punish every sin that I have committed or will commit. Are you hearing me? This is bad. This is getting depressing. I can feel depression like raining in this room right now. That's good. You should feel depressed. This is really bad. And so, number four, the punishment for sin is death eternal. Separation from God and all. And there's a typo here. All that is instead of this. All that is good in hell. Hear what I'm saying? The punishment for all of my sins, past, present, and future, that punishment is death eternal. Eternal separation from God. The Bible speaks of spiritual death, it speaks of physical death, and it speaks of eternal death. And all of those things I earn when I decide that I'm going to sin against him and I'm going to break his laws. 
And the fifth thing is this, and this is when it gets the most depressing. There is nothing that I can do to make myself acceptable to God or to make up for my sins or crimes that have been committed against him. That's horrible news, isn't it? That's really bad news. God is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He has a problem with me because he can't allow me to be the way that I am because I sin against him all the time. He is a just God. He has to judge all of my sin. And I can do nothing. Listen, there is nothing in my ability to make myself right before him. You see, when you share that with people, the same thing that you're experiencing right now, the same things you're thinking, man, that's kind of rough. But the question is this, do you believe this? Because this is what your Bible teaches. This is what your Bible communicates. This is what the Bible talks about, the bad news of the gospel. You see, the only, the, the, what makes the good news good, it makes it great, it makes it glorious is when you understand the bad news. See, because I have yet, and I'm just saying, I have yet to meet the person that came to Jesus just because he was so good. Are you hearing me? I've yet to meet that person that didn't understand something of their sinfulness, that didn't understand something of the bad news. They didn't have to understand everything of the bad news. Like me personally, man, I understood the bad news pretty well. I knew that I was going to hell if I died. Hello. I understood that clearly. And when, I, and when the opportunity came that I was able to receive Jesus, that is exactly what I did because I understood, man, this is talking about me. I didn't understand everything in its totality, but I understood enough to know that I needed him. And that's what made the good news sound so great. But here's the good news. See, when you share the bad news with people, it sets you up for the good news. It sets you up to get excited. See, when you share the bad news, you shouldn't share it as loud as I did. Hello. Right? Kind of be like, you know, God has a problem with you, you know. I mean, just, you know, you, you don't have to be like, yo, God has a problem. I mean, you don't have to do that, you know. I mean, just, you know, communicate it, you know, with heartfelt sincerity. But this is the truth, right? But then when it's time to talk about the good news, but here's the good news. This, this is the beauty of this. The good news is this. Number one, God is love. And in his love, he provided someone to take my place of suffering for my sins. Isn't that good news? You're, I'm starting to break the depression off of you right now. Amen. The second thing is this, no one on earth could do the job due to our imperfection and sinfulness. Therefore, God the Father sent God the Son to earth to become a man. That is so beautiful. That's, that, that's getting me more excited as the moment goes on, right? Because God is love. He's not just holy. He's not just righteous. He's not just just, but he is love. And not only is he love, but he's also a provider. And he realizes that his standards are beyond what we can keep up with, or what we can keep. So he provides. And then the third thing is, Jesus is God the Son who became a man, lived a perfect or sinless life and allowed himself to be arrested, tried, convicted, and hung on a cross. And so the news is getting better because he, Jesus, in number four, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, God the Father, knowing all about me or knowing all about whoever you're talking to, took all of my sins and put them on Jesus, and Jesus suffered my consequences and absorbed the wrath of God for me and all of my sins, past, present, and future. That's getting exciting, isn't it? And then the fifth thing is, Jesus died. His body was placed in a tomb. But on the third day, after paying for all of my sins, he came back from the dead, never again to die. It's getting even better. And the last thing is this, that Jesus offers forgiveness and the gift of eternal life with himself to those who trust, who put their faith in him and repent of their sins against God, to him to save them from sin and eternal condemnation and to a new life lived for him. That's the good news, church. That is the gospel in its totality. That's the bad news, and that's the good news. And that's what we should be overwhelmed with, the reality that there are people that are sitting on the side, and the only thing that they can look forward to is the bad news. Hello? 
I want to help people the way that they need to be helped, not just to feel better about themselves for a moment, but for them to experience the fullness of God for eternity. Please stand to your feet and bow your heads with me. If you're in this place and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, today is the opportunity for you to put your faith in him. Today is the opportunity for you to trust him. Today is the opportunity to say, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. God, I recognize that you are good, that you are loving, and that you are holy. It is your opportunity to say, God, I confess my sins to you. God, I lay my life down before you. God, I ask you to enter my life, to take control of my life. I ask you to lead my life. I ask you to help me to live a life that brings glory to you. If you don't know him, you should pray that prayer. What I just prayed, you should talk to him like that and really and fully repent of your sin. And then tell somebody that you made that commitment to Jesus today. And if you're in here and you know Jesus, then you know what? You should be committed to him to sharing this gospel. And if you call yourself a believer and you do not believe this gospel or you're not bold to communicate this gospel, today God calls you to repentance as well. He calls you to faith in him as well. And so I encourage everyone in this place, bow your hearts, not just your heads before the Lord. Humble yourself before Almighty God and really ask him to search your heart right now, to convict you of where you need to be convicted, to encourage you of where you need to be encouraged, and to give you the faith to live out this gospel from this day forward. Grab your neighbor's hand, please, and let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we acknowledge that you are the great I am.